Welcome to the Pastoral Effect Podcast. This podcast sits at the intersection of theology, spirituality, and pastoral concern. It seeks to celebrate pastoral moments that challenge and transform everyone involved in the encounter. Hence the title, Pastoral Effect. I'm your host, Leanne Davis. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I'm beginning with the end. Oftentimes, we see the beginning more clearly when we step back with the benefit of hindsight. As T.S. Eliot wrote, what we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. So this episode is a wonderful interview with my friend Donna Hughes, who retired from chaplaincy in the summer of 2022, but then returned a week later to cover a term contract with our board. Donna finished that term a couple of weeks ago and has officially embraced retirement. Congratulations, Donna. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Donna recently to ask her to share some stories and memories of her 30 plus years in high school chaplaincy. Educators in their classroom sharing their lives with these children and knowing that there is something sacred and holy in who they are and believing that there's something sacred and holy in who these young people are. Please join me for this deeply reflective conversation with Donna Hughes on the Pastoral Effect podcast. Hi, Donna. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, it's great great to have you. Yeah, it's a really good opportunity. I've feel like I just finished not that long ago so it's a good chance to kind of um, take some time to think about where I've been and what happened and then to share that with you. And that's wonderful as I said in the introduction that you have 30 plus years of chaplaincy experience that has just come to an end so we're getting your reflections kind of uh, fresh and hot off the presses as it were so I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Beautiful. So I had sent Donna some questions uh, in advance just to sort of help get her focused and get her settled for for the interview today. And I hope that the listeners find them uh, as interesting as as I do and uh, a little bit of insight into Donna and and her ministry um, in chaplaincy over the last 30 years. So the first question, and I do find this intriguing even for myself Mm. in terms of who I am as a person and in chaplaincy, is what was the religious or spiritual background of your childhood? Yeah, well, I was, well, I think of myself as having been really lucky because I grew up in um, a family with parents who were very active Catholics, very present, very engaged, um, but the model of church that we were in at the time was was very Vatican II. Mm-hmm. So it meant that there was, it was really the, the best of Vatican II. And, and it was so active and um, it meant going to church on Sunday, but it also meant all these other groups and activities that were happening. It meant, um, for my parents, it looked... Um, one of the things that always happened is we went to mass every Sunday and after mass, we either went back to our house or back to someone else's house. 
and there were other families that joined us and there were big breakfasts and lots of parents sitting around a table and children kind of um, everywhere else in the house. So it was That's amazing. I mean, it just, it's that extension of the Eucharistic table. It's this fellowship that continued to spill into the rest of the day, which I had similar experiences as well. And, and your memory sounds so clear and, and so rich. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so constant. I mean, that's part of it. You know, we talk about being practicing Catholics and that it was an every Sunday thing. And, um, whatever was talked about at mass tended to be like the spark for whatever the conversation of the afternoon was. And Oh, really? So even that just extended in, into the rest of the day as well. Yeah. Breaking, further breaking open the word and the priest's homily. And there were times when I got into my adolescence when I remember feeling more like, um, like I better have an opinion about what I heard. And you could pick, like you could be uh, kind of on side with something or kind yeah, of, yeah. you know, have some questions about what you heard or contrary to what you, you know, say that you disagreed with something. And it didn't matter really what you said. It only mattered that you had a good thought out position. Yeah. Oh, that sounds, that sounds amazing, really. That even like in adolescence that you, you're no longer this child but you have too have had this experience, and so we would like to hear how you're integrating it into your life. That's that's a true Vatican Church right there. <laughs> Vatican II. Yeah, I think, so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was a real, um, it was a real gift because it it really was very open, and um, included a lot of other people. It was it was just a very uh, it was a beautiful time and mm. everybody who was in it was so excited about being there. Right. We hadn't come upon any kind of culture wars. There wasn't any, anything conflicting with it. We were just enjoying it. You All know? embracing. Yeah. yeah that sounds, sounds absolutely beautiful. You had mentioned at one point in terms of your growing up that you had grown up on a farm yeah, I did grow up on a farm as well, and that informed, I think, some of my spiritual understanding. I mean, it was very, um, it was an experience that uh, kind of taught you a lot about life. So the need to tend to things, the need that, you know, the idea that you can't just, um, we can't all just pack up and go away for a three-week vacation. You can't. Mm -hmm leave a farm. There's animals that need to be tended to. There's things that need to get done. Constant attention. Constant attention. And it's, it's not all about you all the time. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I think labor that is just, I, I certainly was one of the younger kids and I didn't work nearly as hard as my older sisters and brother worked, but, um, that idea that you just need to do some some of this work every day, you know, and um, and that things live and things die, and yeah, it was it was very profound, and I think affected my spiritual my spiritual life. 
Yeah, I can imagine when you're exposed to the circle of life, as it were, um, repeatedly over the years as, as you're going through your, your formative years, you, you, just, you just have a, a different stance. Um, and that, I would think, would be a, a beautiful gift that could be brought to, to chaplaincy because um, it can be crazy. Yes. And, um, and, and to have that, just that presence and that acceptance that, that this is happening and, and you're just gonna, you're just gonna roll with it and, uh, see what emerges is a, is a, is a wonderful gift. Yeah. One of the images I think of when we were young is, um, in the spring when the earth would all get tilled and turned over, getting ready for planting and how it could look so barren and so like the snow would have melted away and it was just this hard earth and somehow you just take take this machinery to it and turn this earth over and all this beautiful dark you know great um earth is there ready for to receive this all the new things that are being planted and it just um it really inspires the understanding of of rhythm of um that things do change that there is there is a time you know that there is a time for everything right. and um so it did affect my spirituality quite a bit i can just uh, just listening to you talk like that i can well imagine that you've done a couple of prayer services based on that very image of tilling the earth and prepping the soil and imagining a staff mem- member listening to you talk with such familiarity and and such confidence just that alone um would have really um uh, allowed them to enter into the prayer service i think so i mean sometimes that can turn out badly as well i do remember (laughs) one time telling a beautiful story of um being woken up in the middle of the night um we had our little pajamas on and we put our rubber boots on and we went outside to watch a calf being born and how amazing it was that we this this new calf was was born and then in within minutes was was trying to walk around and get its feet and it's it's a miracle so i told this story and my principal at the time also had experiences of trying to help calf cows give birth but as a as an older person as an adult in the situation and um she had a much more gory experience of the (laughs) entire thing mine i don't know my seven-year-old self had kind of wiped any kind of goriness away and so i started this story um in the middle of a prayer service and she was like what You traumatized her. That's a great yeah, way to start the year. That is not my experience of, of watching a cow give birth. I was like, okay, okay. Childlike joy. I'm just channeling my childlike joy. <laughs> new symbol, new symbol. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. But then you also learn to roll with it as, as we do in chaplaincy. And, uh, and you've got a wonderful spirit that I'm sure uh, created many a conversation between your, you and your principal throughout that entire year. And, uh, and it was probably some special moments. For sure, for sure. Every time um, 
the only thing that's more fruitful than doing something well in chaplaincy is doing it badly. And because <laughs> it all it all comes to be something in the end, you know? It does. And you have to just have that. You just got to let it go. Like if it happens, there it is in public. And then you'll just spend the the rest of the year, like your soil imagery, just tilling through it and, and just seeing what's there and, and what can be planted and what has to be thrown away and... Yes, it's yes. Uh, an intriguing part of the ministry. A lot of gifts that come with, yes, um, making mistakes at times. So. Absolutely. Holy mistakes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else about, about your childhood or, or, or spirituality um, that you're The other about? real spiritual force, I would say, in my life when I was a kid was um, that my dad uh, is a recovering alcoholic. And so we were very engaged in in um, the 12 steps of AA okay. and that, um, and with that community as well. So not just at an intellectual kind of idea, but um, we, we got together with lots of families who were living the same journey um, and listening to talks and, and um, it very much is a, a spirituality that that asks people to rely on a higher power, but says that that can look like anything. So it freed up some of those um, ideas that we can get in the Catholic Church about something having, having to be a particular way, hmm. that, that we need to have this, this one image or this one idea. It just, it just sort of, it was a really good balance to Catholicism because there were so little rules and in, in AA other than um, the idea that uh, if you talk about things when you're struggling, you get through them much better, you know? So Donna, when you think about the last 30 plus years in chaplaincy and you've moved between boards, you were in the North and then you, lucky us, joined us here in Ottawa and have been in many schools in the Ottawa Catholic School Board. Um, is high school chaplaincy important? Is the ministry that, that we do in these publicly funded schools, are they essential? Are they important? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I vote for essential. I, I mean, that's not a big surprise because I spent <laughs> the last however many years being involved in this, more than yes. 30. Um, but for me, I think it's, when I look at it, I think that it's such a tremendous gift to give a school and to give young people. Um, being in high school is uh, a monumental um, experience of first. There's so many first things that hmm. happen in high school. I hadn't thought of it like that. So the first time you fall in love, the first time someone breaks your heart, the first time you fail, the first time you've been betrayed, the first time you betray someone else, you know? Like, not to say that those things don't happen, some in grade school, but as life becomes more complicated, there's a lot of firsts that have the potential of happening in high school. You have a couple of ways that you can deal with this when you're looking at all these kind of experience of, of let's say having your heart broken, 
um, it has the potential to bring up so many questions. Uh, it can kind of reorder all of your thinking in a way. So what does it mean that my heart has been broken? Am I still lovable? Am I still loved? Can I still love? All these things. What was I created for? What am I here for? It just is an endless amount of questions that, that kind of get kick-started by these experiences. And because there's no history with having the first time your heart is broken, if it's never been broken before, you have no history of knowing if this pain will ever end. So and true. So true. And so you are, you're in this moment of being, having no idea of how this is going to turn out in the end. And after you, you know, the first time you failed at something and it's the end of the world, the second time you fail, you remember that the last time you failed, it wasn't actually the end of the world, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you can lean into that. But the first time it happens, it's so big, so monumental. And I think that um, the beauty of chaplaincy is that you have this person around who's telling you that these experiences you're having really matter these questions that you're asking are really essential because there is an option there is a possibility of ignoring them and people do it all the time yeah, for sure they just bury what's going on and motor on through and so this this kind of these sacred questions end up um kind of going underground and then will resurface usually in people's lives at some point when they're uh, hit some kind of midlife crisis somewhere and then they have to deal with it all over again. Got to ask those questions, exactly. That's a beautiful image that I have that chaplaincy is this sacred space, the sacred space to hold these questions mm. of firsts, experiences. Uh, I, I find that uh, very tender and, and, and very moving. Well, it's, it's interesting because it happens so often that it can, in sometimes in your job, you can, you know, stop seeing the mystery of it all or the, you know, it's just... Um, but if you stop and you really are with someone in their in their journey through that um yeah it's a it's a it's a pretty profound thing to be offered to it's a pretty profound opportunity in your life to be able to journey with someone through that and that to say that it's okay to ask these questions and we might not have the answers today and then that really shifts their their faith growth as they move from childhood these childhood notions of god more or less like a santa claus in the sky you know looking down with his list and 
checking it twice to see who's naughty or nice. And then, you know, we move into adolescence and, and young adulthood where we're having these important experiences ourselves outside of our parents. And then who is God in all of this mm-hmm. is an added weight to these other existential questions and or personal uh, crises that, that we go through. And uh, we're, we're there. We're, we're there to uh, help them explore that to create the safe space to be able to explore that over over a long period of time which is a real blessing yeah i think that long period of time thing is maybe one of one of my favorite things about chaplaincy is that it there's we do not have to do it today exactly we do not have to get to the end today and it is such um such a gift to be able to be in a place where um, if today someone walks away angry and upset, we can leave it for weeks and then wait, wait, just wait. It's a beautiful thing. It is. And it's good spiritual skills. It's good life skills. It's sometimes you, you just don't have the answer right away and you just, you just have to live for a bit and, and, and see what happens. And we have to, give people permission to, to do that to end with adolescence to, to teach them that because sometimes they're a little impatient let's face it oh they are definitely they are and can be and who wouldn't be you know this it, I totally I, I understand where they are at yeah. I understand the angst yeah. of it all yeah. um, and it's hard to be gentle when you're in the middle of all of that for yourself as a young person it's hard yeah. to be gentle with yourself but to it's teach intense... some of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's beautiful. Um, was there a particular focus to your to your ministry? I, I, I sort of hate to really ask it like that, but was there something that you actually enjoyed leaning into? I mean, I know there's many things we do in our ministry, and the expectation is you will do all of these things. But was there just something that was something that was more more you more more who you were in your own faith journey that you leaned into and was a special part of your ministry? I think, um, I was thinking about that question and I think, uh, the words of St. Teresa that we are Christ's hands and feet in the world is probably, um, sort of sums up what I think was important to me in my ministry. Beautiful. so the idea that you are, um, that you have the possibility of engaging in the world and making something happen, and that you are um, invited into this, into, into good work, you know? So I think when I worked with teachers, that expressed itself by me just sort of being being with them and helping them understand how sacred their vocation is. How, how sacred their vocation is. And it's how um, like that they are doing it. They are the hands and feet of Christ in their classroom every day and they are doing it. And I think it is very easy in the politics of today to dismiss what happens in schools and with teachers. I, I don't know how often, you know, we hear people dismissing the work they do 
um, often, I think, and for to remind them to be with them to find ritual and prayer that roots them in knowing that their vocation is profound, that the work they do is sacred, that um, and that they are the hands and feet right now of Christ in their classroom. So with teachers, it's, it was kind of, it came out in that way, just sort of always um, trying to root them in that because they don't need more work, you know, they're, they're doing it. No work, no more work, no more pressure. <laughs> just to have a cheerleader rooting for them every day, every week, each month, trying to get through to June, just, you know, whispering in their ear and encouraging them along and uh, encouraging them to be, as you say, I love that, Christ's hands and feet in the classroom. is uh, It's a daunting task. It's daunting, but it's kind of amazing in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, 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 it really is. And yeah. uh, with students, I had... I wanted to share with them sort of what was profound for me as a young person. So um, what happened to me in my kind of spiritual journey as a, um, a later teen, uh, in my late teens, early 20s, is that I lived in a time of um, when we were kind of still... Uh, talking a lot about nuclear weapons and all that stuff. The words used to come out of my mouth pretty frequently, and they were, uh, we're all going to die anyways. <laughs> I do remember those days. <laughs> so even with this, this great foundation of faith that I got from my parents, there was this thing happening in the world that I couldn't quite find peace with, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know what to do with it. Um, so I remember um, having an experience where I got a chance to um, meet people from the Global South who were working for change. Mm -hmm. And it, it really shifted everything in me. So all of a sudden, um, it wasn't as if no one no one was doing anything. It wasn't as if two thirds of the world that uh, didn't have, you know, uh, a basic, basic needs met, whether that's housing or food or whatever, that they were doing nothing. They were organizing, they were planning, they were thinking, they were, you know, learning. And all of a sudden I was invited into moving with these people and the people who cared about what they were experiencing. And in that, was able to put my faith into action and that changed my understanding of who I was called to be in the world. Oh, and I bet it changed your chaplaincy. I mean, that's the, to, that's exactly where our, our adolescents are. It's, you know, they, they don't just want to be these, these theologians that are asking, trying to discover answers to these, these big questions, although they are interested in that. Boy, when they can put their faith into action, they are the, the hardest working people for justice that I know. So it shaped, yes, so it shaped everything. It was the, 
and 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 it's powerful because it's the way I came um, to understand how to have a dynamic faith for myself. Hmm. So you can't help but share the roots that you come from. You can only share who you are. You can only share who you are. So um, that meant bringing students um, into all kinds of experiences where they were meeting people who were working for change, where um, they could be people who were working for change. It, it meant a lot of my work was around Catholic social teaching and understanding having a long history of, of um, people in our, in our tradition who, who have been doing this work and a long tradition of ways that we can do this. Um, and, and, you know, just uh, giving them a chance to consider maybe making the most money in the world isn't the most important thing. Maybe doing something for somebody else matters. Maybe, yeah, being a part of change. Mystery, like where, where do you see the hope? Um, when I see young people, I, I am inspired, to be honest, right now. I see them as creative and funny and loving people. And one of the great things that's happening right now in our Ottawa board is that we're welcoming people from so many places around the world. And so there's this cultural wealth that, that hangs out in our schools. And I think that that affects um, all of us in, our, in, in the whole of the school so that even kids who, who aren't from some other country have a lot of experience of, of um, the wealth that these other people are, are bringing to our schools. Um, and I think that they're not, young people are not as limited. Limited? Limited. I think that young people don't have the same limits that we put on ourselves that are kind of out there from the culture wars. I don't think that they I don't think they see as many us and them as as a lot of the world is stuck in right now. That's really good to hear, because yeah, that's that's really great to hear that uh, that they might be immune to that right now, which I I do find hopeful. I think I think they are a bit. I think we're um, we're so rooted in left and right and us and them and this and that and I just don't think that they live there as much um, and so I think that there's a lot I feel hopeful I feel hopeful about young people today well that's great um, last year um, it was the beginning of the Synod, and uh, we participated, had the pleasure of participating with our parish, and we had about four or five listening sessions here with some religion classes, and um, wanted to hear the questions, of course, were uh, what's going well, and then uh, what, what is challenging in the church, and, and I found that very rewarding, 
and and would agree they're they're not necessarily as tapped into the culture wars or as sensitive to that as as we are and and i i do i do find that hopeful and really glad that you pointed it out but when i think of the synod it's about listening in your ministry what what have you heard I think I've heard young people um, say that they just can't rationalize some of the things that are happening in the church. So they, as much as I've said they weren't kind of weighed down by the culture wars at times, I think they also um, refuse to rationalize being in a church that excludes women or LGBTQ people or limits them or, you know, puts them somewhere other than center, you know, as mm-hmm. just like the rest of the people are center in this church. Um, and so they, I think the generation before has made space when I say there's, I mean my generation. Right, right. We are the generation before. Gen X um, right here. <laughs> has somehow been able to um, say, okay, this is, there are some things I'm, I'm not super excited about, but I can, I can still see the gifts that are there. I can still, um, I can wait for change, I can do these things. And I would say that young people are not prepared for that and they won't be in a church that doesn't welcome the people they love and they just can't get their mind around the idea that a woman can't do anything. Mm. It's, you know, it's been a long time where they've seen women in all sorts of roles and to have less central roles in the church is is hard for them to imagine. And so I think that um, this generation is, has walked away. And I think even in the last decades, people have been walking away. Yeah, I mean, I... You and I are from the same generation, and one of the this female students who was in one of the listening sessions, I caught myself getting overly excited about the fact that Pope Francis had appointed um, uh, a nun to head the commission, and I was really quite excited about that. I didn't even hear my I didn't even hear what I was saying, and she looked quite annoyed and had put up her hand and and. It was really quite honest and just said she couldn't believe that I was excited about something so simple as in 2023 that the Pope had appointed a nun to oversee something going on. And <laughs> uh, it really was a dagger because I was her in the early 80s and I had I had so much hope and I assumed that things would progress and move in, in a direction, um, especially for women. And, and it has not. And and so I found those listening sessions um, as profoundly moving for me as, as as hopefully they were in the data that, that we were able to, to contribute. But that's a good example. Yeah, I think that they, um, they're kind of done with waiting. I think 
the church has gotten caught in a bit of a culture war as well. I don't even know that they want the church. Who is the church? There's another question for you. Well, that's a deeper, yeah, who is who is the church? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I hope there's listening, I hope that, I mean, I know there's some preliminary reports and, and, and central themes that are starting to emerge out of the, the, the data collection for the Synod. And I think that what we've just been discussing and what you've been reflecting on is present, especially the absence of young people and why. And I hope that the church listens and listens deeply to that. I mean, I always grew up that, you know, that you are the future. We always said that to, to, it was always said to me, and I used to refer to that early on in my ministry that to young people that you are the future. Uh, I think I have to stop doing that. I think we have to listen to to what they're telling us about the future. And I, I do hope that deep listening comes out of their their what they're saying and also out of their absence. I hope so too, because um, to not have the gifts that these young people bring, there is part of me that says... Uh, I watch them and I think they're going to continue in lots of ways to flourish and to, to do really well. Um, but I think it's a loss for our church. Definitely. Uh, and, and we can, I think sometimes people look at it and think, oh, it's, you know, these young people are losing so much in walking away from the church. But I think the church is losing a lot in having them walk away. Absolutely. And the, the spirit moves. The spirit is moving among our young people. They have received the sacraments. They, they have been practicing. The spirit is moving and working and living in their lives. And we need to hear from them. And if they're taking action, we need to stop and look at, at what is happening. And they care about so much. I mean, you look at young people leading us through um, a lot of this, the problems with ecology in our world and the, and the whole, um, so much of their energy has been the force that said, we, we won't just sit still anymore. We are going to try to make change. And they continue to, to speak in that, in that area, you know? And uh, so if, if they're not speaking to us at all, it would be a huge loss. Huge loss. I, I completely agree. It would be it would be very sad. So Donna, we've meandered through this and that of, of chaplaincy and I'm just wondering what brought you joy. There's so much that can go on over the course of a year and then over over a thirty year career, but as you've had a few weeks of, of official retirement to have an extra cup of coffee in the morning and contemplate life and your ministry, I'm going to ask the question, what brought you joy? I think the thing that brought me joy um, was being welcomed into people's lives. And it happened in so many ways that really, um, that we're moving. I mean, welcomed into people's joys, welcome into people's pain. Like there's all of that that goes on. Um, I loved in my job that I never knew what was really gonna happen in a day. 
<laughs> and that anything could happen in a day. I was thinking of the places, well, when I was on my way over here, I was thinking of um, some of the things that I had done in chaplaincy over the years and uh, the places that I had brought young people to so that they could um, learn more about the world, about spirituality, about their life. And um, so I brought them to leaders in El Salvador and Mexico and the Dominican Republic and Guatemala. And I brought them to uh, meet with Alzheimer's patients. And I brought them my first year, I took a group of kids for an eight-day canoe trip through Quetico Park, where everything you bring in, you have to bring out with you. Wow. And it, so there were some amazing moments of, of, of doing um, really unusual things, being on, you know climbing up a, a volcano in, in Guatemala. That's not normally a job that people have on a regular day. <laughs> <laughs> not, not literally, maybe metaphorically. but <laughs> So that in many ways you can make this job, you can do almost anything you want to in it. Um, and there's space for creativity. And whether that's um, staying up all night long into the next day so that you can learn more about Catholic social teaching or whether it's um, helping and when to you find say that, I'm, When you say that, I'm thinking years of think fasts. Years and years of think fasts. <laughs> and the, the exploration games and the engagement and the creative ways to teach and talk about Catholic social teaching and, you know, getting very little sleep and all of that community building. Yeah. Good memories, good memories. Such good memories and so many gifts that came from the work of those people at Development and Peace who, who supplied us with, like, just endless amounts of resources and ideas and energy to, to, keep, to keep looking, to keep teaching. One of the things I loved in my ministry was working to make kind of the perfect moment where someone could experience prayer or ritual um, and all the background work that goes into making a retreat happen or um, a prayer time, a liturgy meaningful. And the background work of itself wasn't, didn't bring me great joy. It was fine. But the moment it was happening, when you saw it and it was like, yes, I did that. And I created a space for someone to be inspired or to hear something or to be moved. And uh, that's a profound thing. That's beautiful. And that is such a huge part of, of, of our ministry. And you did that so beautifully and so creatively. And I know if I could line up staff members, they would tell their stories of how some of those prayer services or those moments or the space that you created was so impactful for them. And, and sometimes we don't know, but you've been tilling the ground for years mm. and uh, and watering it and nurturing it and letting it lie fallow and, 
and um, it sounds uh, from our interview today that it's been a beautiful, enriching experience for you. It has been, definitely. No regrets. No regrets. Well, that's a wonderful thing to be able to say at the end of your career. Donna, thank you so much for joining me today on this inaugural episode of the Pastoral Effect podcast. I can't thank you enough for um, taking the time, for preparing, and for just sharing your thoughts and your reflections, your memories, and your stories. Uh, It's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of the Pastoral Effect podcast. I'd like to thank Donna Hughes for joining us today and for having the courage to to share her story and her insight and her memories of a 30-plus beautiful career in chaplaincy. Many times as Donna was speaking, especially when she was talking about holding space for questions and living into the questions, I thought of the poet Rilke especially letters to a young poet. And you might be quite familiar with this um, quote that I'm going to share with you. I want to beg you, as much as I can, to be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign language. Do not now seek the answers, which cannot be given to you, because you would not be able to live into them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing, live along with some distant day into the answers. Donna, thank you for sharing some of your lived experiences and for taking us on a journey through your 30-plus years in chaplaincy. And I have no doubt that the space you held for students in their questioning has allowed them to open doors to new perspectives, ignited their curiosity, deepened their faith, and enriched their understanding of themselves and the world around them. Thank you for your ministry, Donna. And thank you, listeners, for joining me for this Pastoral Effect podcast.